If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. In a moment, we'll begin there in verse 4. I love this Sunday. I love Mission Sunday, one of my favorites. I, John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, made this statement. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not men. He goes on to say, when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Today is Mission Sunday at our church. That's why we wear African daishikis or we sing about missions and we hear from missionaries. We give our initial gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We see what God's word has to say about being on mission and this mission that he's given us. You will hear a repeated theme today, that's for sure. And I love Mission Sundays. Like Pastor Howard said last week, it's one of my favorite Sundays of the entire year. But you and I need to understand that missions, as absolutely vital as it is, is not the ultimate goal for our church. If you were to think of it in terms of a target, what is the bullseye? The bullseye is not missions. The bullseye is worship. We want God to be worshipped. We aim for the worship of God by people from every tribe and nation and tongue. That's the goal, the worship of God. Now, the reason we engage in missions is because there are still people and places who do not worship Him. And because He is worthy of worship from every nation and tribe and tongue, we need to engage in missions. We must take the gospel to them. This is the call of missions. That is the task of missions. It's what disciples of Jesus have been doing for millennia. And until he returns again, that is what Jesus' disciples today will and should be engaged in. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the need for missions and the need for God's people to engage in missions is urgent and significant. We put in your bulletins last Sunday the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering Prayer Guide, the week of prayer for international missions, and I'm praying that you prayed through that this week, lifting up those missionaries and what God is doing across the globe. It was in that prayer guide, though, that the IMB made us aware of these sobering statistics. 4.6 billion 4.6 billion people are considered unreached in the world today. Do not have a gospel witness among them. Of those 4.6 billion, there are 7,225 unique unreached people groups. People with their own language and culture and customs. 7,000 of them are unreached. But perhaps the most sobering statistic is the last one. 
where they say 173,451 people lost, die every single day. Now, church, if that number was one, it would be too many. But 173,451 lost people die every single day. Condemned to an eternity in hell. But those are just numbers, you say. Let's make it a little more personal. I want you to consider this. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but I want you to think. Do you know one person who does not love, honor, obey, and worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you know their name? Can you see their face right now? They are why we have missions. As long as there is even one, we have unfinished business. I want you to see what Jesus has to say to us this morning about missions and the business of taking the gospel to those who don't worship him. Acts chapter 1 The first three verses, uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of context, the book of Acts is a sequel. It's part two of the story, if you will, written by the Gentile physician Luke, who wrote the gospel who bears his name. In the first three books, three verses of the book of Acts, he basically says that he's going to be picking up where he left off in the gospel of Luke. And so what has happened? Jesus has completed his earthly ministry, his teaching and preaching, performing all the miracles. He's been crucified, buried, risen from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples for a period of 40 days. He's taught them about the kingdom of God. And now when we get to verse 4, Luke says he's going to finish that story and continue it, move it forward. Look at me at what it says there beginning in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This morning, I simply want you to see three things from our text about this mission that God has given us. The first thing I want you to see is the empowerment that we need. I want you to see the empowerment that we need. In verses 4 through 8, these are Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends back into heaven. And because they are his final words, they carry a little bit more weight. There's extreme significance here. So look again at what he says there in the beginning of verse 4. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? Wait? You say, hold on, wait a minute, time out Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Don't you realize the need is urgent? Don't you realize how many people there are out there that don't yet know you? We've got to get out there, we've got to tell them about you, it's urgent. 
But Jesus said, wait. Wait? For what? Well, he tells them. Look again at verse 4. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And you wonder, well, what is that promise of the Father? We'll go on reading in verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What is this promise of the Father? It is none other than the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus told those disciples, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you alone. The Father will send you another helper, a comforter, a counselor. He will be the one to lead you. He said it this way in John 15, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, get this, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus told the disciples, wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't just rush out there and start talking and telling everybody about Jesus. Wait for the Holy Spirit. But why, Jesus? Why must we wait? Look at verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word that's translated as power there in verse 8 is the Greek word dunamis. We get our English word dynamite from that. I love the picture that Jesus gives his disciples here. This vivid, explosive, power-packed power that's theirs through the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, wait for the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit could empower them to engage the mission that Jesus was going to give them. They couldn't do this in their own power and strength. Only God could accomplish this mission. And this power, Jesus said, you will receive when the Holy Spirit comes on them. We read this two chapters later, or just a chapter later in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon them in such a remarkable way. You see, Jesus knew. That if these disciples went out and they tried to fulfill the mission that he was giving them in their own wisdom and in their own power and in their own strength, they were going to fail and they were going to fail miserably. They would say or do the wrong thing. Their timing or their approach would be wrong. They would end up making a mess if they trusted in themselves because their power was not sufficient for the the mission God was giving them. They needed him. I wonder, have you ever tried doing something that you lacked the power to do? Maybe it was taking a jar lid off or the jar lid had been screwed on too tight. Or maybe it was trying to start up your car when the battery didn't have enough juice. Or maybe, and I know this is probably not really the case for most of you, but you tried to lift weights that were just a little bit too heavy. Do you remember the frustration and the discouragement and the disappointment when we try and do things that we lack the power to do it brings all of those things Jesus knew these disciples lacked the power to accomplish the mission that he was giving them but they didn't have to do it in their own power he was giving them the power they needed in order to be able to fulfill the mission We need to understand this mission that he's given 
we don't have the power to fulfill. We are desperately dependent upon his empowerment or we will fail miserably in taking the mission of taking the gospel to the nations. God provided these first disciples with the power to engage that mission, but it wasn't just for them. He has made that power available to people today as well. You say, well, how, Pastor Joe? How is it available for us today? This same Holy Spirit that he promised them, that he sent to them, he gives to us. Now, they had to wait for the day of Pentecost. They had to wait till Acts chapter 2 a few days later. You and I receive the Holy Spirit when we place our faith in Jesus Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, meaning in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When we place our faith in Jesus, God seals us with that Holy Spirit. He empowers and endues us with that power of the Holy Spirit. When we recognize, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about my sin. My sin separates me from a holy and just God. I need a Savior. Thank God he sent Jesus to die on that cross who made payment for my sin. I take my trust and my faith. I place it in him. I surrender my life to him. The Bible says when we do that, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We're taking from being the enemies of God to becoming the sons and daughters of God, and we are sealed with this Holy Spirit. We need that. Maybe you're here this morning, and you don't know what it means. You don't know that experience of having your sin forgiven, placing your trust in Jesus, being adopted into his family. If you're here this morning and that's you, please hear me. His offer of forgiveness, his mercy and grace, it is available to you no matter who you are or what you have done. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. And I pray that you would come to know him today. If you have questions about that, I'd love to answer them for you. When you've made that decision, when you've trusted in Jesus, you're sealed with this Holy Spirit. We need him because he's the empowerment for this mission. There's a second thing I want you to see about this mission, though, from our text. Not only is there this empowerment that we need, we also see the distractions we avoid. There are distractions for us to avoid. Look at the disciples' question there again in verse 6, what they ask Jesus. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, in verse 3, the Bible says that Jesus had been speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So the disciples, they hear Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God, and then they hear about this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and they start wondering if Jesus is talking about the scriptures, which indicated a restoration for the people of God. Scriptures that we find in like in Ezekiel chapter 36 or in Joel chapter 2 where God indicated that even though he had poured his judgment out on the people for their sin, there would come a day when he would remove their sin and remove their shame and he would give them a new heart and he would give them and pour out his spirit upon them and allow them to dwell in the lands of their fathers. They wonder. They hear Jesus talking about this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and they wonder, is he going to fulfill those scriptures now? Now, let's give the disciples a little bit of credit. At least they're taking Jesus 
seriously. At least they're believing what he's saying. Let's at least give them credit for that. Unfortunately, they were fixated and focused on the wrong thing. They thought Jesus had come to inaugurate or institute an earthly kingdom, but he did not. He came to inaugurate a heavenly kingdom. But you see, that was difficult for a first century Jew to wrap their heads around. You see, one of the things they struggled with the most was Roman oppression. They longed to be set free from Roman rule. Their hope was that the rescuer, the deliverer that the Old Testament promised, would actually come in and would throw off the chains of Rome. They would throw those Roman oppressors out of Israel. They thought the Messiah would come in and lead a political revolt, and they would be set free from Roman rule. And so many Jews were looking for that. They were looking for the wrong thing, which is why they missed the Messiah, the Son of God who walked among them and taught in their synagogues. They missed him because they wanted a political king. So when Jesus' disciples come and they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're saying is, Jesus, now that you have risen from the dead, are you going to free us from this Roman rule, is now the time. I'm comforted a little bit to know that even Jesus' disciples got sidetracked from the mission. God's mission was not to free the Jews from Roman rule. God's mission was to free man from sin. So look at Jesus' response in verse 7. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, Jesus is saying, guys, you're distracted. You're focusing on the wrong thing. When the nation of Israel will be restored is not the mission. The mission is making disciples of all nations. And so Jesus redirects them and he says, guys, God's got that under control. You don't have to worry about that. I wonder this morning, how many of you are easily distracted from a task. How many of you admit that? You start out doing one thing, and the next thing you know, you're doing something else. Or maybe more accurately, like five or six something else's. Some of you can't even do one. You're distracted. Here's what I want you to recognize. When it comes to the mission of God, there are distractions we are to avoid, and we must avoid. You see, the enemy, one of his greatest weapons is getting us distracted from the mission. That's because he knows if he can get our eyes off the task and our minds off the mission, he has sidelined us. He's rendered us ineffective for the Lord. And sometimes you and I are just like those first century disciples. We're fixated and focused on things related to an earthly kingdom and not the heavenly one that Jesus came. Sometimes it's even good things that consume our thoughts and distract us from the mission. Things like our jobs, our families, our hobbies. They're not bad in and of themselves, but sometimes we get so fixated and focused on those that we elevate them to the area of primacy in our lives. We're seeking those things first 
and not the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So let me ask you this morning, are you distracted from the mission? Has the enemy succeeded in getting you to reprioritize or prioritize something lesser than the kingdom of God? Are you more concerned with outperforming your coworkers or your classmates than you are their salvation or their sanctification? Are you more concerned with saving up and making sure you have enough money to buy that next new toy or go on that nice vacation? Are you more concerned with that than making sure that our missionaries have the funding they need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Are you distracted from the mission? Don't be distracted. Avoid those distractions. If it's going to happen, we're going to have to be intentional about avoiding them. We're going to have to wake up each morning and we're going to have to say, for this day, I will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I will not be distracted by lesser things. There's an empowerment we need, distractions we avoid, but we also see finally the mission we fulfill. We see the mission we fulfill. In verse 8, Jesus told the disciples they would receive power when they received the Holy Spirit and they would be witnesses to him in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The mission that Jesus gave the disciples was simple. Be a witness to Jesus. That's it. Be a witness to Jesus. Wherever you are, whomever you're with, whenever you're with them, whoever it may be, be a witness to Jesus. But that wasn't just the mission for the first century disciples. That's the same mission for the 21st century disciples like you and me who live here in this world. Be a witness to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that that's the mission. And here's why. Because that's doable. Be a witness to Jesus. That's doable. What is a, a witness? Someone who, has, who testifies to what they have seen, known, or experienced. I can do that. I can testify to what I have seen, known, and experienced about Jesus. I can, I can do that. Don't miss this. You don't have to be an expert in any particular field to be a witness. You don't have to have a PhD in systematic theology. You don't have to be able to answer all their questions about biblical archaeology. You don't have to be an expert to be a witness. Unfortunately, there are many too, too many Christians today who do not open their mouth and tell people about Jesus because they're afraid they don't know enough or they're afraid they're not going to be able to answer the questions that they're going to get back. Listen, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know all their answers. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says that you are to always be ready to give an answer, a defense, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Give a defense for what? For a reason for the hope that's in you. You don't have to answer their questions about archaeology or theology or philosophy. You don't have to do that. You have to tell them why you have hope because of Jesus. That's it. That's it. Tell them the truth about Jesus. We can do that. 
Did you see, though, where Jesus told them to do that? There's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Each one of those would hold significance for those disciples, and they hold significance for us today as well. First, we learned that being a witness for Jesus begins at home. It begins at home. You see, Jerusalem is where the disciples were. It was kind of their home base so to speak. So when Jesus tells them that they are to be witnesses to him in Jerusalem, he's saying to them, start right where you are. Start where you are. And and we need to realize this. We need to recognize that missions begins at home. Missions begins here in Homestead, Florida. Missions For some of you, missions begins in your home because not everyone under your roof is a follower of Jesus. Missions begins in your home. I wonder, have you stopped to consider that God's placement of you was strategic and intentional? Your home, your job, among your friend group, the hobbies you participate in, everywhere you go, God has strategically placed you there that you might be a witness to him, to those who don't know him. I want you to consider that. The next time you're tempted to complain about those noisy neighbors or those annoying family members who always get on your nerves, stop and consider, how does God want me to be a witness to them, of him? I heard a story once about a pastor who shared about a woman who came into his office to complain about her workplace environment. She complained about how sin-filled it was and how difficult it was to work there. She talked about a supervisor who used nothing but profanity and co-workers who did nothing but talk about their sexual exploits of the day. And the pastor just let her vent. She went on and on and on. And finally, when she reached a pausing point in her complaining, he simply asked her this question. Will you tell me where lights are placed? What does that have to do with anything she said to him? He repeated his question. Will you tell me where lights are placed? In dark places, I suppose, she answered. To which the pastor replied, Have you considered that God has placed you in that dark place that you may brightly shine the light of Jesus for them to see him? And she sat dumbfounded. And then she said, I will go back and I will shine as brightly as I can for Jesus that they may see him and maybe come to know him. You and I need to understand that God has placed us and planted us strategically where he has put us so that we might be a witness to him and others get to see him. Where does that begin? It begins here at home. Every single day when we go to work, when we go home, when we go to the grocery store, everywhere we go, we are a witness to Jesus. Yes, it begins here at home, but it must not stop here. It doesn't stay here. It must extend to the world. You see, Jesus didn't just say to them, go to Jerusalem, stay here for the rest of your life and make sure the gospel is proclaimed here. And I can't tell you how glad I am that he did not say that. 
Because the truth of the matter is, you and I might not be here if the disciples had stayed in Jerusalem. There is a balance for us to understand here. Yes, we are to take the gospel to our own community, to our home. We start here. We do that every single day. But we must also go to the ends of the earth. This, gospel, or this book of Acts ends in chapter 28 with Paul in Rome. The gospel has advanced from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. But let me ask you this question. Is Rome the end of the earth? Not Hardly. And now you know why I've entitled this message, Unfinished Business. You see, until every nation and tribe and tongue has heard the gospel of Jesus, we're not done yet. The mission is not finished. It's not complete we have not gotten the gospel to the ends of the earth. There are still more people who need to hear about Jesus. There are still unreached people group. There are still lost, dying, and going to hell who've never heard of Jesus. And so what are you doing to take the gospel to them? How are you working to fulfill the mission that God has given? You say, well, Pastor Joe, what can I do? What's my part? You can pray. First and foremost, you can pray. You can pray that God would save those lost that are in those unreached people groups. You can pray for scripture translation in the native languages so they can hear and understand the gospel. You can pray for God to call out and send missionaries to be sent. In this modern technical age, it has never been easier to pray for international missions. In fact, our international mission board has an app you can download to your smartphone and you can pray daily, every single day for specific requests coming from these people groups and these places all over the globe. And if you're not already doing that, I would encourage you, download that app. Start praying today. You can pray. You can give. You can give. In just a few moments, we're going to have our March to the Manger where we bring our initial offering to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. What you need to know about that offering is every single penny, every penny goes to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It does not stay here to pay light bills or salaries or give to benevolence. Every penny goes to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Every penny goes to the International Mission Board. None of it stays here. I'm praying that you and I will give sacrificially, give until it even hurts. We can pray, we can give, and we can go. We can go. Now, I recognize for a limited number of people here, that's not an easy option. There may be significant financial, emotional, physical, or maybe even spiritual obstacles that would have to be overcome in order for you to be able to go to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm not saying they're impossible obstacles. Because we serve a God of the impossible. But for some of you, this would be a difficult option. For most of us in this room, though, there is no reason in the world why we cannot or should not go to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Maybe we go on a short-term mission trip. We're going to have a number of those opportunities next year. 
Maybe it's Senegal. Maybe it's Belize. Maybe it's Mexico. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's somewhere you haven't even thought of yet. Maybe it's not a short-term mission trip God's calling you to. Maybe it's a long-term or a gap year where you go for an extended period of time, maybe a year or more, and you serve on the mission field in, in foreign missions, international missions. Or maybe even for some of you, God might be calling you to give your life to full-time vocational missions. Maybe that'll be your job. I read an article just this week about a young woman who gave up her life here in the United States to go love and serve the people of Thailand. She was a normal person, just like you and me. But when God came and God called and God said, I want you to be a missionary, her answer was yes. Maybe God's calling someone here. I pray he is. Because we need more people to go to those 7,225 unreached people groups. This is the mission. We are to be witnesses to Jesus. We start here. We begin at home, but we go to the ends of the earth. We don't stop until the mission is fulfilled. Global missions expert Paul Borthwick shares this story that I want to close with. He said, a young man named Peter reminded me of a modern-day Philip. He said, I stopped in a McDonald's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I noticed Peter working at the counter. I recognized him from the young adult ministry in our church, and I knew that he had just graduated from Harvard University with a master's degree. I greeted him and managed to get him to take a break for coffee together. What are you doing here? I asked, knowing that Harvard master's degree students don't usually aspire to work the counter at McDonald's. Well, he explained, I graduated in May, but I went four months without finding a job. So I said to myself, I need income to pay the bills. So this is where I ended up, at least for now. I'm so sorry to hear that. It must be hard, I replied. But Peter cut me off. No, don't be sorry. God has me here. This place is giving me awesome opportunities to share my faith. I'm on a shift that includes a Buddhist guy from Sri Lanka, a Muslim fellow from Lebanon, a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my coworkers while asking, would you like fries with that? He laughed, and so did I. You see, Peter found himself in a setting he never would have chosen as part of his long-term plan. But his mindset about living as a sent person shaped the way he viewed his circumstances and those around him. Peter understood the mission. Be a witness for Jesus. Whether you're at McDonald's or Mozambique, doesn't matter. Be a witness for Jesus. He was going to be that witness for Jesus with whomever God placed in his path. And my prayer for you and I today is this, that we would be a witness for Jesus beginning right here where he's placed us, but not stopping here. Going 
to the ends of the earth until the gospel is taken to every nation and tribe and tongue. One of the ways we can do that is by making sure those who are going have the funding they need. And so my prayer is, is in just a few moments as we take this Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that you would give to make sure the gospel gets to the ends of the earth, that you would pray for those who are going, and that you would ask God, am I supposed to be one of those to go myself? Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. More importantly, I thank you for Jesus, the living word. I thank you that there was a moment in many of our lives when you opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel where we recognized that we were lost and hell-bound, hopelessly in need of rescue, unable to rescue ourselves. Thank you for that moment when we were able to place our trust and faith in Jesus to save us from sin. And God, if there's even one here this morning, whether they're in this room or watching online, that they don't know that freedom, they don't know that joy of having a Savior, then Holy Spirit, would you move in a way that they might come to a place where they're able to repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. May today be their day of salvation. Draw them to yourself. And Lord, my prayer for those of us who have chosen that path, those of us who have surrendered to the Savior, is that you would remind us that we are to be a sent people, that we are to be on mission every single moment of every single day. May our lives testify to your glory and may our lips recount faithfully the gospel message so that others too may come to know this Savior whom we love. And we'll pray that you receive every bit of honor and glory for what you do in Christ's name. Amen. Before we leave, I do want to remind you If you are here and you do not know Jesus, but you want to, please do not leave today without finding me or one of our other leaders and asking, how can I do that? I need that relationship.